Today's reading is from Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 17 through 23, and verses 26 through 27. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Great are your purposes, and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct, and as their deeds deserve. You performed signs and wonders in Egypt, and have continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind, and have gained the renown that is still yours. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. You gave them this land you had sworn to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey you or follow your law. They did not do what you commanded them to do. So you brought all this disaster on them. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Good morning, everyone. Pastor Sharon here with you again. You know, it seems like it's been quite a while since Christmas and our Christmas Eve service. But before I start the sermon this morning, I just want to go back and say thank you. Thank you to each person who made that Christmas Eve event such a gift to each member of our church. For all the children, for the students, for the adults who helped tell the story of Jesus, thank you. You made uh, the message of Christ's love evident to all who experienced it. So I'm just I'm thrilled, so proud of what we together did to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And now this morning, you know, we come to this time together to our worship and to the word in a week of unprecedented events in our nation's capital. And I think it's fitting that today our attention is being drawn and focused in again on the sovereign love of God. You know, we've been shaken shaken by the scenes of chaos and insurrection at the center of our nation's government. And some are asking the question, how could this happen? But I wonder, as Christians who understand the effects of sin and are realists about it, that we recognize the ugliness of sin at the root of our national horror. Pride and thirst for power entitlement and white supremacy, lies and half-truths, posturing for personal and political gain, violence as a way to hold on to what we believe is ours. And perhaps the most dangerous and diabolical of all is the sin of using the name of Jesus to further hateful agendas. And before we point fingers too quickly, we too must confess that these sins can worm their way into our own hearts, into our own responses. I've heard from many of you in these last several days, and one of our members 
expressed her dismay this way. She says, It is in times of turmoil that the faithful look to their church to speak truth in the midst of chaos, and today is no different. Let us do justice in this moment of injustice by clearly naming the sin and crying out to God in repentance and in need of healing. She further says, let the church speak truth unambiguously. That truth we are all desperately need to hear. I agree with her. I hear that same longing and I confess I've been troubled, angry, unsettled. So as I come to this text and to this day of our worship together, I've wondered how do I express this righteous anger as I hold fast to God's truth? We might ask, where is the love of God in all of this? How is God truly sovereign over all? But today I want us to look at the words of Jeremiah, who will again help us speak truth into our own situation, to remind us of the God that we serve and the purposes that he has for us as his people. You know, we're in a series now called All Shall Be Well. We're using these words from a 14th century woman of faith to center our own faith on the love of God. Julian of Norwich, she was a contemplative ancestor of faith, and she had a deep longing to know God fully and richly. And in the midst of her own time of chaos, both personally and in society, she writes. You know, it was her own illness, the Black Death pandemic in England, and even the manipulations of some patriarchal religious leaders where Julian heard from God, and she found a deep and settled peace in the love of God. So we come back to her writings again that frame this series that says, All shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. Today's text and theme remind us that God alone is the Almighty One, and amazingly, He expresses His power through love. But what exactly does this sovereign love look like? I'd like to take us through three movements as we consider this text from Jeremiah and our own current situation. First of all, defining God's sovereignty, then imagining God's sovereignty, and finally, relying on God's sovereignty, his sovereign love as we see it expressed in Jeremiah's prayer. Let's begin by just defining God's sovereignty. What does it look like that God is sovereign? Well, I want to offer a list. Well, maybe let's start first with defining sovereignty. What does it mean? What does a dictionary say about sovereign? One dictionary puts it this way. Sovereign, the sovereign is the one who's on the throne, a royal being, one that exercises supreme authority within a limited sphere. Of course, we know when we talk about God's sovereignty, he exercises supreme authority in all spheres. In fact, one way we can describe the sovereignty of God is simply to say God is in control. There are several aspects of this sovereignty, and 
lists that help us kind of unpack and put some handles on what this actually means, the reality of God's sovereignty. So I'm going to offer some of them to you this morning. First of all, the word omnipotent. This means that God is all-powerful. He can do anything he wants. He is in complete control of all things. God is omnipotent. God's sovereignty is also seen in that he is omniscient, the word that means he is all-knowing. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. There is nothing he is not aware of. God's sovereignty is seen in that he is omniscient. And then omnipresent. That means God is everywhere present at all times. His presence or his essence cannot be defined by space or time because he's beyond them. He is present always. Another part of God's sovereignty is that he's transcendent. That means he's complete in himself. He's independent of all other things. God is above us. God is beyond us. He is transcendent. Another part of God's sovereignty is that he's immutable. This means he is unchanging, unchanging in his character, in his will, in his promises. And we can end this list by saying for certain that God is almighty, unparalleled in might. Now, that is more than just a list of words. We don't need information about God. We don't create a list in order to put God under a microscope. God is so much bigger than our biggest thoughts could ever be, so much greater than any words we could put down to describe him and speak of him. And our goal is not to settle on some definition so that we'd know more, that we'd know about God, Instead, we want to know God. We want to know God in the way that he has revealed himself to us. He is a God to be known. So before we actually dig into this passage from Jeremiah, I invite you to imagine with me. Let's imagine the sovereignty of God to ponder what it actually might entail. I haven't tried this before in a sermon, so you, I hope, will join with me um, and give it a try. And you might even want to close your eyes as we walk through this imagining exercise together. So wherever you are, when you're hearing my words, I want you to just sit. Sit and recognize your own body, the solidness of who you are and the place where you're sitting. Can you see the reality of you, the parts of who you are in your body, your being, your soul? It starts there. Now, maybe with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine that you are able to have a view from an incredibly powerful drone and it's sweeping up above you. And even as you see yourself sitting in that certain space, You can also see from the view of this drone, a camera that is raising up above you. You see yourself sitting in your home and then your home and the neighborhood in which you live, the streets on which you walk. And then the drone moves farther up and you can see 
the entire city where you live, the streets, the buildings, the landscape. Now imagine that drone is even going farther up and you see the whole region, our state, the state you're in. And that drone gives you a view of the region, the topography of mountains and rivers, of oceans and forests and fields. Let's imagine that drone going even higher, viewing our country, this hemisphere, the outlines of land and water. And now this, this amazing drone moves above the atmosphere. And you see the world, the earth, as an astronaut might see it from space. This sphere, which is just one small part of our solar system. Go even higher and let the drone's camera show you the earth in a group of planets revolving around our sun. Scan even further and notice all the stars, the expanse of the universe. What an incredible imagination. And as you have imagined the wide expanse of the visible world, I want you to remember that every square inch of that space, every molecule, every atom in the journey from your body and your home to the galaxies above is held together and sustained by God himself. God, God is sovereign over all. Paul says it this way, as he describes the supremacy and the sovereignty of Jesus Christ in Colossians. He says, for in him, in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. One seminary professor said it this way, God's sovereignty extends over the millions of the stars in the universe, over the fall of a sparrow, even over the exact count of the hairs of your head. And if you were able to, maybe with your eyes open now, go back to that imaginative place, we would see that not only is it sustained by God's sovereignty, but it is saturated with God's love. The God who controls the universe is the same one who commits himself to loving us, love and power in perfect balance for perfect purposes. God's power cannot be diminished because he's committed to love, and his love can never be trivialized by ignoring this sovereign power. The witness from Jeremiah today is that God's sovereign love is seen in a variety of ways. And before I unpack the actual text that was read for us, I want to give us a little bit of context because Jeremiah is telling us that God's sovereignty is shown in judgment and in restoration, power and love in complete harmony. 
you know, Jeremiah's whole uh, prophetic warning throughout his book is now coming to pass in these chapters, and Judah's fate is sealed. The army of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is surrounding Jerusalem, and the overthrow of Judah's government, it's on the horizon. And Jeremiah, in this text, finds himself in prison at the hands of his own king, the king of Judah, a political prisoner, because he had prophesied words of doom and judgment for King Zedekiah and for his regime. And it's there in prison that Jeremiah receives this unique, peculiar message from God. God tells him that his cousin is going to come to him in prison and encourage him to buy a field that is part of his own hometown, a field that this cousin owns. And God makes it clear to Jeremiah, if you read in the earlier part of chapter 32, that he should go through with the purchase of this land. So that's the context. Here we are, this city on the brink of capture and disaster, and God is instructing Jeremiah to purchase some property. Not exactly a wise investment when the land would soon be occupied by a foreign entity. But Jeremiah does what God says. And so when his cousin shows up at the royal prison to offer this deal, Jeremiah makes the purchase, secures it, has it witnessed, and makes two deeds to certify it. One of them sealed in a clay jar for safekeeping. And verse 15 of chapter 32 of Jeremiah explains why he would do such a foolhardy thing. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, houses, fields, and vineyards will again be brought, bought in this land. God had directed Jeremiah to purchase a piece of property at a time when the fortunes of Judah couldn't have been lower. And even with this impending judgment coming, land about to be occupied by a foreign army, God tells Jeremiah to act in a posture of hope and faith. Even in the middle of catastrophic, catastrophic events, God initiates actions of hope. There's going to be a restoration of the land, and Jeremiah's purchase is a signal that God is going to bring his people back from exile. So it's in this spirit of this transaction that Jeremiah pours out this prayer that we read this morning, praise and recognition of who God is. Perhaps it's a cry for reassurance, a need to confirm that what he had done wasn't foolhardy. But in this prayer, Jeremiah secures his hope by settling himself on the sovereignty of God. So if you have your Bibles with you, either in print or a digital version, I encourage you to open again to Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 17 to 25. What does Jeremiah's prayer show us about the sovereign love of God? Well, he addresses God immediately in verse 17 as sovereign Lord. He recognizes this is a God above him, sovereign over all things. And then he goes on to describe some of the ways that is seen in God's character, similar to the list we did earlier. Verse 17, God's creation power. He says, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. An outstretched arm. 
God's creation power proves his sovereignty. And then God's personal love in verse 18. You show love to thousands. But as the verse goes on, that love is also expressed in judgment. You bring punishment for sins, even the sins of former generations that are put into the laps of their children after them, he prays. It does bring to mind that our own national strife at this time can be viewed in light of this truth of the way God functions, that often the sins of the past continue to infect us today. And I think we see that in our turmoil where the pain of past sins continue to infect our culture. Verse 18 goes on to say that this God who we praise and lean on is a great and mighty God. His name is the Lord Almighty. The greatness of his purposes, the greatness of his deeds are evident. He's all-knowing. That's the word omniscient we talked about earlier. Because in verse 19, it says, Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. And then in verses 20 to 23, we see that God is omnipotent. Again, we see his power over all things. Jeremiah prays it this way. You perform signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day. He remembers God's power, reviewing it in the pivotal narrative of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, in all the signs and wonders that were then and continue to this day. God's sovereignty is at one. It leads him to judge the Jewish nation in Jeremiah's day, and at the same time points ahead to this promise, this undeserved blessing that's going to come for future generations. And once Jeremiah has reviewed and praised God for his sovereign character, he comes back to his own immediate situation. Hear these verses, these words in verses 24 and 25. See how the siege ramps, see how the siege ramps are built up to take the city. Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened. As you now see, Jeremiah says to God. And then he says, and though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. Jeremiah realizes that even though God is a God of great and unending love, he is also a God of perfect justice. God demonstrates his sovereign power in this judgment against Judah. But he offers hope to Jeremiah and to the nation in the purchase agreement for a field. There it is, a signed deed for a seemingly useless piece of property. But it was Jeremiah's guarantee that God's sovereign love would have the final word. Jeremiah relying on God's sovereignty. And what does it mean for us to rely on God's sovereignty today, especially in light of the circumstances that we've just witnessed and are going through? Let me offer a few nuggets for us to hold on to as we go forth from this place. First of all, 
it is true that God judges sin and rebellion. Just as Jeremiah was called to speak against the evils of his day, we too are called to speak the truth, the truth about any complicity in the church or in our own hearts that have perpetuated injustice and that have elevated the supremacy of some people over that of others. God's sovereignty demands that we address sin. And it's not an easy thing to do. And we recognize in God's judgments, his just love, that it's hard news. It was hard for the people of Judah to hear. But we must speak it because this is the kind of sovereign God that we serve. So God judges sin and rebellion. But God has also is also committed to the future destiny of all humanity. His love and sovereignty aren't at odds with one another. Judgment and destruction do not have the final word. I just want to remind us, as in light of our own national turmoil, that we serve a different kingdom. We must remember that God's kingdom is not defined by our national allegiances and the future destiny of our nation. We, God's promises for the destiny of humanity are based on his kingdom, where Jesus is the true king and Jesus' priorities reign. And so we rightfully, we, we pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for ourselves in this time. But let our prayers be in line with the way Jesus taught us to pray. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God judges sin and rebellion. And God is committed to the future destiny of humanity. And finally, because, because God is sovereign and loves us, nothing will ever come to, into our lives that he has not either decreed or allowed. That's what it personally means that God is sovereign. It means that you and I can face whatever comes into our lives at a national level, at a community level, at a personal level, and take comfort in the fact that God is sovereign over it and that his love never ends. His power sustains and holds us together, even in these times. And so we don't need to draw back out of fear, even now. His love is everlasting, as we said last week. His character never changes. He will do everything in accordance with his sovereign love. Julian of Norwich, who wrote back in the early 1400s, says it this way. Some of us believe that God is almighty and can do everything and that he's all wise and may do everything, but that he is all love and will do everything. There we draw back. I encourage us as we look at the sovereign love of God today, as we try to define it, imagine it, and then rely on it as Jeremiah did, that we would not draw back, that we would center our security, our hope, our future on the sovereign love of God, both today and into the future. This is our, 
This is my prayer for myself and for us as a church. God's love, his sovereign love will hold us fast. You know, the richest expression engagement of this sovereign love of God is seen in the sacrament of communion. And today at the table, we will remember this. We will remember who we are and whose we are. We receive again the forgiveness of God for our own sins through the sacrifice Jesus has done on the cross. And in communion, we're nourished by spiritual food that confirms again that we are loved forever. Today, you're invited to participate in our drive through communion that's going to be offered in the church parking lot right after this service, this online service. We also have some resources there to hand out to you for children and families, for, for adults, that'll hopefully provide some tools for you to keep your mind and your heart growing in God's love. But if you're unable to participate in the drive through option, or you don't live in this area, so you can't even do that, I invite you to stay on this streaming service after the, after the announcements are done, after we close, because I will come back on and lead you through a time of the communion sacrament. We together need to remember who we are and settle ourselves in the sovereign love of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, the gift of your sovereign love, more than we could ever define, more than we could even imagine. And yet you invite us into a place to know you in your sovereignty and in your love. We settle into that truth, even as Jeremiah did, to remember who you are, God, and that as we consider your power, we know that it's always expressed in love. May that hold us fast in this season. May it remind us to speak boldly and to love lavishly. For this is the kind of God you are. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Go into this day and into this week secure in the sovereign love of God. May it hold you fast. May it guide your actions. In the name of God. Amen.